I don't know, about three or four months before the book was going to come out, I went to a conference, a writer's conference, and saw a lot of old friends who had already gone indie. Uh, this was around 2011, I say. And they'd already gone indie. And uh, when they said, oh, what's going on with you? I said, oh, I've got a hardback coming out in, in July. They all just went, oh, man, that's too bad. <laughs> Welcome back to The Author Biz, where we gather together each week around the digital campfire to chat about your author business. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and we are at episode number 56. What's the secret to success in your author business? You may have noticed that's the question I've been using as a launch point for many of my past few episodes, and I'm enjoying the way that one question sets the direction for much of the rest of the interview. The answer to that question allows the interviews to be a bit more free-flowing and I hope more informative and entertaining for you. I totally ripped the idea for that question off from a podcasting friend, Johnny Naster, who hosts the Hack the Entrepreneur show. If you're into business podcasts, I completely recommend that show to you. But since we're here to talk about the author biz, let's talk about how today's guest, screenwriter turned traditionally published author, turned indie author, Robert Gregory Brown answers the question. Robert said his greatest ally on the road to success was an unwillingness to give up. To keep persevering, even when success didn't appear nearly as quickly as he'd hoped it would. Robert kept at it, taking 19 years to achieve his first real success. That came as a screenwriter, and he had to reinvent himself a few times along the way. Since becoming an all-indie author in 2012... Robert has either written or been involved in the writing of about a dozen novels. He's written his own books, he's co-authored books, and he's launched a really interesting new project called the Linger Series, which combines a story idea he had several years ago with uh, an epiphany he had while binge-watching House of Cards on Netflix. Before we get to the interview, a couple of quick bits of news. The first one, not news at all. You may hear in my voice that I've got a little bit of a cold. It's better now than it was when I chatted with Robert a few days ago. I sound to myself a bit like I'm talking from inside a barrel, so I hope you can tolerate it this week, and hopefully by next week everything will be back to normal. And then one other bit of news that I found interesting last week. Did you see the stunning news, and I put stunning news in quotes, in the Wall Street Journal that Big Five ebook sales have dropped since they went back to agency pricing? Anyone who's ever run a lemonade stand could have seen this coming from the moment they increased their prices because we all know, we learned very early on in life that as you raise prices, Sales tend to decrease, but for some reason or other, the writers at the Wall Street Journal seem shocked by this news. The always entertaining Barry Eisler posted a piece on J.A. Conrad's blog on September 4th titled, Shocking Wall Street Journal Discovery, Higher Prices Equal Lower Volume. I'll link to that article in the show notes, and it's well worth a read if you haven't seen it yet. The title of the Wall Street Journal post is, Ebook sales fall after new Amazon contracts. Prices rise, but revenue takes a hit. Buried near the bottom of the Wall Street Journal article is what I see as the rest of the story, where Amazon says ebook sales in its Kindle store, which encompasses a host of titles that aren't published by the five major houses, are up in 2015 in both units and revenue. Well, there we have it. The big five raised ebook prices and their ebook revenues have dropped considerably. For everyone else, the ebook sector continues to grow, both in terms of unit sales and revenue. And I guess for indie authors, the idea that the big five want to continue to sell books at prices that are above what most readers are willing to pay uh, makes independently published books that much more attractive, which is good for a lot of people. As always on Joe Conrad's blog, it's worth reading the comments where he and several others, including today's guest, Robert Gregory Brown, chime in. All right, it's interview time, so we'll get to it in a minute. Uh, as always, we'll have show notes for this show with links to everything that we mention at theauthorbiz.com. While you're at the website, please sign up for our email list. You'll get an email whenever a new episode goes live. Thanks for listening, and here's the interview. 
Robert Gregory Brown. Welcome to the Author Biz. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right, let's get right into it with our traditional starting question. As an author entrepreneur, can you tell me what's one thing that you do that you feel has been one of the biggest contributors to the success of your author business so far? Uh, well, my author business has been going on for many, many years before I actually started an actual publishing business. But the author business, I'd say the biggest contributing factor because of all those years involved is uh, never giving up, basically. Uh, this is a business of ups and downs, and there are times when you look at the sales numbers and ask yourself, what the heck am I doing? Am, am I doing something wrong? And then other times you're doing something right. And there, there are times that you really think about just hanging it up and start looking for a day job. But if you stick it through and you keep going, you keep writing, you keep putting out new books, things tend to get better. Uh, you know, the more you, you, you produce and the harder you work at it. I, I started writing when I was 16 and didn't see my first success until I was 35. So, uh, and I, I won an award and I went on to uh, sell a screenplay to Showtime. There were plenty of times along the way between those years that, you know, I almost said forget it. But I, I soldiered on, finally got that uh, that award, and uh, even after that, and the Showtime deal, and even after that, the road was uh, was pretty rocky, and I was forced to go back to the real world uh, a couple of times and try to reinvent myself. And when Hollywood was no longer interested in me, I uh, turned to my first love novels and kept writing until I had something I thought would get me back in the game. And I was 50 when I sold my first novel. So hmm. I, I'm a, I think I'm a testament to never giving up. <laughs> and your first, your first novel when you sold it, that, that was obviously a traditionally published deal. Uh, I'm, I would never ask you how old you are, but when was that? That was 10 years ago. Okay. All right. So we're roughly the same age. And things have changed a lot in the last 10 years. You you went through this period where you were a traditionally published author. Right. Uh, I know some of this about you because you talk very freely about it in a new book that you've written for authors called Casting the Bones. So I feel like I know you better than I did before this interview. And <laughs> Casting the Bones, you... I don't know, the, the tagline is an indie author's guide to, to the craft of fiction. And then very early on in the book, you say, that's not just for indie authors, it's for everybody, which is, which is a true statement. Yeah, I, was a little, I think I was a little disingenuous <laughs> with that uh, subtitle, but, you know, everybody's into indie now, yes. anything that says indie, so I thought I'd do a little bit of uh, crass commercialization there and just add that in. And I, I only bring that up because when I launched this show, the idea was to be publishing-type agnostic. I didn't care whether guests were traditionally published, indie-published, hybrid authors. It made no difference to me, the shows about the business uh, aspects of, of being an author. But what I've found over time is that when the subjects are more indie-related, the downloads go way up. So I think you're onto something with this crash commercialism, <laughs> and I may just ride your coattails with it. There you go. All right. But you were traditionally published. Uh, something happened. Was it the normal something happened? Uh, contract didn't get renewed and you decided to, to go indie? No, actually, uh, I was doing pretty well. What, what happened is I was with St. Martin's for four books. Uh, and as my after I turned my fourth book in, uh, we were talking about another contract but my agent got a call from a former editor of mine, someone who actually used to be with St. Martin's and edited my very first book. Uh, he was looking for somebody to do a thriller about uh, angels and demons in the real world. And it was not the kind of thing that I would ever even think about writing, even though I did uh, have a supernatural slant to a lot of my books. Uh, but he said he thought I was the guy that would that would be good to write this for them, and they offered me a significant amount of money. So uh, we kind of said goodbye to St. Martin's, and I went over to Penguin, and I wrote that book, uh, which was a very difficult book to write. Like I said, it wasn't something I would normally do. But I poured my heart into it and came out with what I thought was a pretty good book, The Paradise Prophecy, and the... Editor loved it. Uh, the publisher, the, the publisher, the head of the publishing company himself read it, and he loved it. And they were going to just uh, back the heck out of it. And we got uh, 
an AP review that was uh, basically a love affair too. So everything looked good and primed for me to have this big, uh, you know, hardback coming out. I had been, I, my first book was hardback and I had been in paperback since then. And so this was my next actual hardback and was supposed to be a breakout book. And around about that time, uh, about, I don't know, about three or four months before the book was going to come out, I went to a conference, a writer's conference, mm-hmm. and saw a lot of old friends who had already gone indie. Uh, this was around 2011, I say. And they'd already gone indie. And uh, when they said, oh, what's going on with you? I said, oh, I've got a hardback coming out in, in July. They all just went, oh, man, that's too bad. <laughs> because, <laughs> because they were very successful uh, doing uh, indie and making lots of money. And hardbacks were basically on the decline at that point. Mm-hmm. And so they were sympathizing with me. And I, at that point, I was thinking, oh, man, did I make a mistake getting involved in this deal? I see all my friends making all this money and having all this freedom to write whatever they want. But I wasn't fully convinced. I thought, no, I'm going to wait. I'm going to, you know, hold on and see what happens here. See if uh, this book goes big. And we got those great reviews. It came out and pretty much did nothing. I mean, I sold I sold copies, but mm-hmm. it wasn't the huge hit that everybody was hoping it would be. And so I kind of said to myself, um, you know, we've got all these great reviews and everything. And I know a lot of this is a crapshoot, but maybe my friends have a better idea than the traditional publishers do on how to sell books. And so I decided, to heck with it all. I'm going to sit down and write a book that I want to write. It was a a book called Trial Junkies that uh, I had pitched to my agent and I think one publisher, I'm not sure. And none of them were really, they didn't think it was something they could sell. And so I said, well, I'm just going to write it anyway, you know, whether it gets sold or not, with the thought of maybe if I, if it comes out to my satisfaction, I can try uh, indie publishing it. Uh, Although I still had that kind of desire in the back of my mind to, to go traditional with it as well. But I finished it, and by that time, uh, my friends, especially my friend Brett Battles, who had started Indie about a year or so before, were just going gangbusters with their sales and making tons of money. And, you know, every author wants to make tons of money. So I said, you know what, I'm going to go Indie with this book, and I was scared to death. I figured it was going to be a huge flop, and oddly enough, within... uh, a month of releasing it, I was selling a thousand books a day. So I was kind of like, okay, I, I don't think <laughs> I need tradi- traditionally publishing anymore. And uh, I ended up uh, leaving my agent and uh, haven't looked back ever since. It sounds like you, maybe because of the relationship you had with these friends that had gone public, or uh, Indy, you were a little bit less tepid about the idea of going indie than a lot of people are. A lot of, a lot of people faced with that, uh, there's, a, there's almost a sense of shame about it. I've, I've lost my publishing gig. They don't want me anymore. I've got to go indie. Uh, it, it doesn't sound like that was a part of your thinking process. No, that was never, I never felt like I had lost anything. I felt as if I had made the choice. Uh, I just, I, I never offered the book up, you know, mm-hmm. to, for sale. Uh, I told my agent, I, I, I think I told my agent at one point, yeah, go ahead and give it a try. Uh, but then uh, he had uh, some personal uh, family issues. I think uh, his father died and uh, he wasn't able to get to it. And he finally said, you know what, why don't you do whatever you want with the book at this point and we'll, we'll talk about it later on. So that's when I decided to go, uh, to go indie and, and just do it. But yeah, a lot of it did have to do with, you know, I, my friend Brett and he knew all the ins and outs by that time and uh, Joe Conrath and Lee Goldberg, all these guys were encouraging me to do it. Uh, so, you know, I had, a lot, I had a lot of help from them, a lot of encouragement. This was roughly 2012? This was, uh, I released that book in June of, uh, May of 2012. Okay. And how many books have you indie published, either 
just by yourself or you with co-authors? Because I know you've written some books with, uh, with Brett and it, you've been involved with other projects with, with different authors. How many since uh, then? Let's see. Um, it was Trial Junkies. I did the sequel to... Uh, I'm, I'm counting them in my mind here. So <laughs> that's one, two, three, four, five, uh, at least ten, ten or eleven. Okay, and, uh, over the course uh, of the and, last three years. Right, and they all, I mean, I did not write uh, all of those books. I, uh, a few of them, I wrote several of them, uh, a couple of them under pen name. And uh, then I did the Linger series, which is a, a whole different thing, where uh, I wrote the first book and uh, four other authors wrote the additional uh books in the series, and there are actually three more authors who are uh, working on uh, new episodes, we call them, as we speak. And, and let's talk about the Lingo, Linger series for a minute, but before we do that, <clears throat> that go back in, in, in time a little bit. You're writing your own books, you're co-writing some books, uh, you, you were part of some box sets, you're doing all the things that successful indie authors did. Um, at, at some point during that process, you started Brown House Media, and, and then the Linger series came up. And I, I know from talking with you before that this was an idea that you'd had some time ago, and right. your agent hated it, and everybody hated it except you. And uh, you liked the idea, and you pitched it to some friends of yours, and y you did this sequential series kind of thing where I think all the books were written by, is it Edward Fallon, the author? The, Edward, the, Edward Fallon, yes. And, it's, it's uh, but it's, it's different people writing under the name of Edward Fallon. So you, you have a great willingness to try things. Oh, of course. I think, you know, what's the point? <laughs> you, <laughs> might as, you might as well experiment and see what you can, uh, see what you can do, see how it uh, comes across. Sometimes you fail, sometimes you succeed. And how did this evolve from the point where you, you started as an indie three years ago? You, you, you released Trial Junkies. Uh, I don't know what was next. It may have been the second Trial Junkies book, um, or it may have been some co-written books. But at, at some point, you sort of took control, because the Linger project was your project. You put this thing together. You put the authors together. Right. Uh, you had the idea for the book, and you pitched it. it it's almost like Hollywood production. You came, you came out of the Hollywood world, and I mean, right. it, it feels like a Hollywood production. So at, at what point during your indie career did you start looking outward? Um, you know, I, what happened was I was watching, it's, it's very much like a, a, a Hollywood thing, because I was watching Netflix and House of Cards, you know, everybody's seen it by now, I mm -hmm. think, and the way they would just put out the entire series and you could binge watch them. And I thought, you know, why isn't anybody doing that with books, you know? And the thing that came back to me was, well, one of the reasons it's difficult to do that with books is because then you'd have to write five books. And that's going to take a significant amount of time. You know, you might, any author could try to do this, but it would be probably two years before they had the, the five or whatever amount of books uh, they needed to, to release them. And that's a huge investment of time when you're not making any money in the process uh, in the meantime. So I thought, if I'm going to do a binge series, a binge book series, then I'm going to have to do what they do in television and how they get all those episodes out every week is to basically have a writing staff. So I went to friends that I thought were great writers and pitched them the idea, asked them if they were interested in doing something like this, and they all uh, just jumped right in. They loved it. They loved the idea and really wanted to be involved. So uh, we each took, a, I wrote the pilot book. Uh, they all read that, and I had a little bit of a Bible, which uh, unfortunately changed during the course of writing the book, but uh, they used that also as a guide to write their episodes. They pitched me their basic ideas of what they were going to write, and they went off and wrote them. And fortunately, they all did fantastic, a fantastic job. I uh, edited each of the books. Uh, my wife helped me out considerably. She had copy editing on it, and we worked our butts off to get those books out uh, all at once, and we managed to do it. It was kind of a miracle. And so that was five books all at once that people could binge read, essentially. And these are, uh, these are 
full-length novels. It's not like it's the, you know they're eighty-page novellas. They're full-length novels. No, they're they're full they're full novels. I and mean, that, I would I would call them short novels. Mm-hmm. They are short. They're kind of like uh, the the length of the novels in the '60s that you would read, the thrillers in the '60s. But uh, they are full novels, and they're all each story is basically a standalone story, but with continuing threads uh, throughout, with the same characters and, and continuing threads. All right. It, some time has passed since you've released the first five. I know you have plans for more, and they're, they're probably more being written now. Uh, the last time you and I talked about this, uh, you were uncertain whether you would re- release the, the next batch all at once, or would you release them one at a time? So have you made a decision on that? No, I actually still haven't made a decision on that. I've only gotten the first uh, book in uh, of the new potential batch, uh, and I'm editing that actually as we speak, and um, the others have yet to come in, so it's it's a matter of timing. I one of the problems is you also have to deal with people's schedules. Mm-hmm. So if I do put it out as a batch, it may not be until you know early next year that that happens, uh, maybe January, February. If not, then I can probably release them uh, one at a time throughout the the holiday season, which is when you want to get books out there. So we'll see what happens. I'm not absolutely sure yet. From looking at at the way the books have sold, uh, can you tell how people are buying them? Are they buying them one at a time, or are they buying all five and then just reading them? Uh, I'm getting the sense that they're buying the first one, and then they just go and buy all of the rest. It's it's hard to tell, you know, with the, with the numbers the way they are. I also I put it in Kindle Unlimited as well, and mm-hmm. we're getting ton, tons of uh, uh, page turns, as they call them now, uh, in Kindle Unlimited. So that's a good thing. So, uh, it, you know, it's not, I wouldn't say it's selling gangbusters, but it's selling steadily. And I've always looked at this as a very long game. I've actually done. Other than shows like yours and a couple of other things, I've actually done very little uh, marketing as far as the books go yet. I still have plans to do uh, like a book bub and other Mm -hmm. uh, newsletters and those kinds of things uh, in the future. But I always look at these things as a long game. You you have to give people time to realize that the books are out there and read them and start telling their friends about them. And I am seeing momentum, so that's a good thing. And it does seem like... uh a binge series like this is a natural fit for a, a bookbub campaign. You would think, yeah, yeah. All right, you you've described what many people might sense is an overwhelming uh, amount of work that you have to do. You're you're putting together these series. You're writing your own book. You're editing these things. You're working with other people. What's what's a typical work week look like for you? <laughs> Uh, sometimes chaos, sometimes sheer laziness. It depends on, <laughs> it depends on my mood. Um, you know, really, the hardest work didn't come until I decided to take on the publishing company and mm-hmm. doing it, doing the binge thing. Before that, uh, putting out a book, the hardest part was simply just writing the book. The rest of it was actually relatively easy to do. And I think anybody who is an author and just wants to to do the indie thing on their own and not get involved in publishing other people, uh, that is a pretty relatively easy thing to do if if you're tech savvy enough to do it. If not, you can always find people that will help you. And a lot, of pe- a lot of people will help you for free. There are other authors that are happy to help you for free or give you tips at least and point to the, to the right places uh, to go to learn how to do this stuff. I think the last thing you want to do is go to one of those uh, uh, companies that charges you $5,000 to, quote, self-publish your book. Um, yeah, those, those seem insane, but people do go uh, that it, route. People do it, and to me it's crazy. I think Now, I'm fortunate in that when I write just a book for me, uh, I have a good friend who's a New York Times bestselling author who edits the book for me and does it. You know, just I, I do a few things for her as far as uploading some of her uh, self-published short stories and things like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, she edits it for me because she's a good friend. And then I, uh, my wife does the copy edits because she's very good at that. And then I format it and do the whole thing myself. And I, I'll also design the covers because I have a design background. So 
it really literally costs me nothing to publish a book on my own. Uh, doing the binge series was a little different because I had to invest money in different places. But uh, I think the average author doing this probably shouldn't have to spend more than 1500 or $2,000 to do it if they hire out uh, editors and that kind of thing. When I first came across Brown House Media, I may have this wrong, but it seemed like when I first saw it, it was a company that did cover design. Is that the way you launched it? It was, was it like just to publish your own books and to do some cover design? Oh, no, not at all. Okay. There, are a lot of, there are a lot of covers on there, I think. But no, I, there was a point where I was thinking about doing cover design, and you may be kind of mixing it up with that. Uh, but So was, no. it, was the intent always to publish other authors through there? Yes, uh, the book, the the actual company itself, the LLC, was started last. Uh, I think it's been about a year now. Last September, uh, for the sole purpose of putting out the Linger books and a couple of other series ideas that are still in the works. Okay, and then all of your old things are now published through Brownhouse. Correct. Okay. Um, let's talk about craft. It's not something that we normally talk about on this show. We normally talk about business, but you've written a book about craft. I had the opportunity to read the book, and I loved it. It's a plain-spoken, this is my opinion, this is what works for me kind of book. And a lot of it just makes perfect sense. You cut through a lot of the, I don't know, the the fluff of, you know, we've all read... 350-page how-to-plot-a-book books and (laughs) 350-page how-to-write-a-scene books. And, you know, you've got chapters for those things, and they all make sense, and there's useful information in there. Why why did you decide to write that book? Well, one of the reasons was a lot of... I I think I say somewhere in the... If you can call it an introduction, but (laughs) the introduction of the book, that these are... uh, things that I've come up with over the years. And mm-hmm. I wrote, I've written a lot of these things down uh, over the last, I don't know, at least 10, probably 20 years of my writing career. And uh, did a little updating of some of them and discarded some that were no longer of use because they were so dated. But, uh, you know, I've always uh, just had that desire to help aspiring authors, uh, you know, learn some realistic things about writing. I was one of those guys that, you know, would grab all the writing books and read them and would get to the point. I'd be like, you know, are you ever going to get to the point in this book? Come on, just give me some information Mm -hmm. that that I can actually use. And I discovered that I could use some of it and other parts of it, especially I think I talk about it in the book about uh, like creating your characters and writing down on uh, cards, you know, where the character went to school and what they, you know, their entire background, the backstory and everything. Uh, that just seemed endless to me. The idea of doing that, I couldn't stand the idea of doing that. I tried it several times and I was like, well, if I'm not going to be using in this, the book, this in the book, what is the point? And I understand that the point is to, so that you as the author know the character really well and uh, you're able to pick and choose what you need for the book. But I'm more organic writer than that. I discover my characters as I go along, as I'm writing. So it was really of no use for me. Yet, you know, any class you walk into, that's one of the first things they'll say. You have to, you know, start charting your characters and do all that stuff. And I thought that was kind of ridiculous that not everybody has to do that. It's fine for people that, that, are able to do it that way and enjoy doing it that way and feel they need to do it that way. But I just didn't feel that. But of course, at the time, years ago, when I was trying to learn to write, I thought, oh, I must be doing it wrong. <laughs> I'm doing it wrong. You know, oh, I'm not outlining. I, I'm, not, I'm not doing it the way this best-selling author did it or that best-selling author did it. So I must be doing it wrong. So that's why I made a point in the book that, you know, this is the way I write. This isn't necessarily the way you have to write. If you don't do it the way I do it, you're not doing it wrong. You're doing it your way. And that's the only way any author can do anything is their way. And, and one, of the, one of the ways that you express that in the book is by continually 
asking these rhetorical questions like, you know, should I plot, should I outline, or should I not outline? And your answer is always, well, it depends. <laughs> it it right. depends on you. There is no single answer for everyone. And there aren't a lot of books that take that approach. There, most books take the approach is that this is the way it needs to be done, and if you do this, it'll save you all this time, your life will be better, and you'll, as you have a chapter in, in the book about how to, how to write a uh, New York Times bestseller. And so if we follow all these things, not in your book, but in these other books, we'll be able to write that New York Times bestseller. <laughs> and you, you might want to respond to, to my comment about your chapter, which uh, was, was, again, sort of tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, the chapter, I, I, I don't remember the exact title of it, but it was probably something like How to Write a Best-Selling Novel or mm-hmm. something like that. And I immediately say, well, that that chapter heading is a lie because no one on <laughs> the face of this earth, even even a best-selling novelist, can tell you how to write a best-selling novel. They can tell you how they write. They can tell you, uh, give you some good tips on writing. But bestsellers are flukes. They happen to a small percentage of the writers working today. And they're flukes. If publishers or authors knew how to write bestsellers, they would be doing it all the time. Now, you have authors like James Patterson who does it all the time. But the reason he's doing it all the time is because he managed to have that first fluke that went through the roof, and he's got tremendous exposure, and now everyone wants to read his books. But that first book was a fluke. And so... For anyone to tell you, especially a lot of these guys who say this probably haven't had a bestseller in their lives, uh, it's just ridiculous. There's there's no such thing as how to write a bestseller. You just have to write the best book you can, get it out there, and cross your fingers. That's the only thing you can do. You hope that the readers will be glued to it and will let all their friends know about it and, uh, you know, sell a lot of books. The thing is, you don't have to be a best-selling author to be a successful author. You can make a damn good living without ever having a bestseller. And in some cases, having the bestseller could almost be a curse. Because, as you said, it's, it's, it's a fluke or it's a lightning strike, basically. Something right. fantastic happens, and it's not something that for most people can be duplicated. And so then there's all this pressure. You know, the first book was a bestseller. Why isn't the third? Why isn't the fourth? And then all right. of a sudden your publisher drops you. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, you know, if you're, not, if you're not selling as many copies as you did in your last book, then the orders start going down from the, from the booksellers. They go down and down and down, and pretty soon the publisher doesn't see any profit in uh, owning you anymore. So uh, they let you go. There's one other chapter in, in your book that was... My particular favorite, it might have been just a section, but it was the section on show, don't tell. You need to show everything, not tell it, which is, for all intents and purposes, impossible. And beginning writers like me, we don't know that, so you just keep fighting this fight to try and do all this stuff, and and you provide some different advice. i got to tell you, I was on, uh, I don't know if you've heard of the website Reddit. Yeah. But they have a writing subreddit, they call them. Mm-hmm. And I remember somebody asking about show, don't tell, and how they just didn't quite get what it meant and everything. So a lot of other, I don't know if they were actual you know, published writers or not, but they came on and gave examples of, here's how you write a scene with show, don't tell. And I read the scene, and it was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever read in my life. It was like... <laughs> <laughs> nobody's nobody's going to want to read this. You get you know you can't always be showing 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 showing. I call it show and tell. It's like the old thing you did in grade school. You show your pictures, you tell your story. You know, and in this case, you show the pictures uh, through words, but you also tell about things that happen. In a novel, you can't be showing all the time. You are a storyteller. That's why they call it that. You're a storyteller. You're telling a story. So you you find a balance that works for you. Some people show more than they tell. Some people tell more than they show. And, you know, if it works, it works. If readers respond to it, who cares whether you showed or you tell? You told. You told. (laughs) So, uh, 
you know, it's for me, it's show and tell. There's a nice balance that you'll find that works for you, and that's what you should go with. You shouldn't be so concerned with these, you know, just hard rules that say, this is the way you have to do it. It isn't the way you have to do it. You have to find your own way. When is it in the writer's journey that we learn that? Um, because in the very beginning, we adhere to these rules. We, we, we've seen them in print. People have told us this is the way it's done. In, in your experience, at what point do you begin to toss those things, things aside and just focus on what's working for you? Uh, I started doing it pretty early on. I read a lot of these books and saw a lot of these rules, and it, it was just impossible for me to uh, adhere to them because I just didn't feel comfortable with a lot of them. And uh, I said to myself, either I'm not going to be a writer because I don't have what it takes, or I'm just going to do it the way I want to do it. And that's basically what I did. I did it the way I wanted to do it. Uh, now, Keep in mind, it took me a long time after I said that to actually mm-hmm. get get something published or produced. But uh, I, you know, I think that amount of time was needed for me to, to to teach myself how to write. All right, we've we've talked a bit about you working with other people, some of these friends that encouraged you to self publish. So you have connected with a lot of people through the years. I see you on Facebook. A lot. You're an ambitious user of of, face, of Facebook, a very skilled user of Facebook. But it sounds like you also attend a lot of writers' conferences and do the other things that are necessary uh, to create and maintain relationships in the world of publishing. Right. Uh, I don't. I don't go to as many writers' conferences as I used to. Um, but yeah, there was a time when I first uh, got my publishing deal that I, I did want to hook up with other writers because, you know, it's a lonely profession. Mm-hmm. So you, know, you want to make friends and you want to make friends with people who actually understand what you, you're you going through. So uh, conferences are a great place to do that. They're also a great place uh, if you're an aspiring author to meet people who have made it and to sit down and, and just, you know, buy them a drink and talk to them about these things. And you never know. And also meet other aspiring writers. And you never know when one of those writers may end up uh, getting a deal and they may be able to hook you up with an agent, et cetera, et cetera. Although that is less important these days uh, mm-hmm. than it used to be, because if you don't want to go the traditional path, then you don't have to worry about an agent or you really don't have to worry about any of that. I do, however, think that aspiring writers who decide to self-publish and don't have the the background in writing that people like me or, or some of my friends do, it's really important for you to be able to step back from your work and ask yourself if you're actually ready to be published. You know, a lot of people, they, they write something and then just throw it up there uh, thinking, yeah, this is going to be great. This is everybody's going to buy this. And then they never sell anything. And that's because they weren't ready to put it up there. It's just, it's not good enough. And they have to be able to recognize that if they're self-publishing. And that's hard for some people. It's It has been easy for me through the years to, to write something and then look away from it for a few weeks and then look at it again and, and just say, oh, my God, that is terrible, and it's <laughs> going to take months to fix. But there are other people who will write something, give it to a friend. They'll say, hey, that's great. It, it reads just like James Patterson, and you should publish it. Uh, what should we do? Is, is, there a, is there a technique for getting a little distance from your work? And then being able to see it through fresh eyes? Well, I think if you do exactly what you said, you just basically throw it in a drawer and, and go start on something else. We'll work on that for a while. And then uh, I would even say a month or so and then go back and, and read the book. There will come a point where you, you'll be able to recognize whether your writing is any good or not. It, it's an instinctive kind of thing. Um, and... Once you get to that point and people are responding even better to your work, uh, then it's you know it might be a good idea to, to go ahead and try to self-publish it. Uh, and if you get good response from the readers, you know what you're doing. But you also want to give it to an editor, and you want a good editor who will tell you straight, you know, whether this is worth publishing or not. And how does one uh, find a good editor? Well, that's a good question. Like I said. Um, 
my I, my books are edited by a friend, mm-hmm. so I, I can't I can't really tell people how to find a good editor. There are a lot of editors out there. Uh, a lot of freelance editors. Some of them used to work uh, for the New York publishers, for the big five. Um, And it can cost you a lot of money depending on who you go to. I think the key is to find someone whose input you discover you actually value, who who point to things that are wrong with your book and you go, your first reaction is like, what the hell are they talking about? But then you look at it a little bit longer and you go, oh yeah, I see what they're saying. You know, and if you can have that relationship that that makes you want to improve the book and you understand what they're telling you and you don't uh, get your back up over it uh then that's a good editor to have yes if you can hear those things from from her then that that is a, a wonderful thing let's let's talk about facebook for a while uh, or, or for a couple of minutes, because you are a you're a very skilled user of Facebook. You kind of pop on, you make a pithy observation. Uh, a lot of people comment on what you say, and then you're gone. So somehow or other, you're getting all your work done, but you're still in and out of Facebook. Uh, I'm assuming multiple times a day. How do you manage that? <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I I would call myself a Facebook addict. <laughs> I didn't is, I didn't want to make any accusations. Is, yeah, well, you know, it's absolutely true. I'm a Facebook addict, and actually, I just uh, posted a very long post, I think, about how I've many times have thought about just saying goodbye to Facebook because I am uh, completely addicted to it. Uh, I think we get addicted to the. Uh, to the comments and the likes and all those kinds of things. You know, like I said, being a, a, an author is a lonely profession. You sit here at a desk, so it's nice for people to go, oh, yeah, that was really cool what you said. You know, it's that instant gratification. It's like uh, it's like what uh, stand-up comedians talk about, you know, getting that audience reaction to a joke that they just wrote. So there's, there's certainly a tendency to get addicted to that kind of thing. Uh, and it is a struggle sometimes to stay off Facebook and actually do what I need to be doing. And uh, some days I succeed and other days I fail. Do you have any techniques or tools that you use for the times in, in which you succeed, or is it just all self-discipline or lack thereof? Uh, yeah, both. Mo- mostly self-discipline and lack thereof. But there are uh, – I've tried using, um, you know, the, those – little apps that block your internet mm-hmm. for a while. But when I'm writing, I use the internet uh, for research. So they don't really work for me. And then, of course, once I start researching, I'm going, oh, look, I've got something going on on Facebook. I should check that. You know? mm-hmm. uh, and it's hard to resist. I also uh, started doing this other thing. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like you have a timer and it gives you like 25 minutes to work and then five minutes to go do whatever you want. Pomodoro you go, method. There you go, Pomodoro method. And uh, I've been trying that for the last week or so, and that seems to be, uh, you know, pretty successful. It kind of works for me. That's interesting. And I, I've tried that as well, and I've, I've had to adjust the 25 minutes up to 40 because I, I just don't get to any kind of a flow state quickly enough. Uh-huh. Uh, in 25 minutes, 40 works for me. I also use uh, an app on my Mac. I think you're a Mac guy as well, called Self Control. It's a little freebie thing. Right. And you can actually shut off access to different websites for extended periods of time. And that works really well when your self control is nil, like mine is uh, far right. too often. Yeah, I tried self control for a while, but I, I kept having uh, uh, problems with it not letting me. Um, uh, Get, get to Facebook. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I got to be on Facebook, damn it. No, I, I, I had problems with it. For some reason, it would glitch things up on my computer. I don't know. It might have been the computer I was using at the time. Uh, it was probably, it actually, in fact, it probably was the computer's fault and not the app's fault. Uh, but I haven't tried it since I got my new Mac. So um, I haven't you know, had it, any problem with it. It, it, it works well for me. Uh, let's, let's talk about one last thing. Your sure. website, which is the, the cleverly named Robert... Gregory Brown, Brown with an E at the end, dot com. It's got all the things that a normal author would have, your books, contact information, et cetera, et cetera. I noticed when checking it today that you're now doing the sign up for the email list, get a free book thing that so many people are doing. And uh, it's sort of a, a technique that seems to be working. How's that working for you? 
Uh, I would say that when I first started doing it, which was a few months ago, it was working very well. It's now gotten to the point where I, I think so many people are giving away free books that nobody cares yeah. anymore. Yeah. Uh, so it's hard to say. Um, I guess the next thing I'll probably try is uh, everybody's you know raving now about Facebook ads mm-hmm. uh, to get people to your website and to get those free books out there and to get the uh, the mailing list going. Uh, I have a decent mailing list at this point, but I would like to grow it uh, considerably more. So I'll probably try that. And I am, and I'm drawing a blank on the guy's name, so I'll probably have to cut this out. Uh, Mark Dawson. I am Mark Dawson. interviewing Mark Dawson next week about, he, he's, he came up with a program for Facebook advertising for authors that did very well. I think for, for a while it was free. I suspect it's either paid now or is going to be a paid program at some point. Uh, but he seems to be the one that's the most out front in getting success with that. So if you're listening to this, right. uh, check back in a couple of weeks. We'll have an episode specifically on that. Now, you're doing the same thing at uh, Brown House Media, the same sign up for the list, get a right. free book. Right, and right. I I completely agree with you. I when I first saw it, I thought, oh my gosh, this is fabulous. This is so cool, and and then after like the third or fourth or fifth time, it's like, uh, you know, I even if I got the free <laughs> book, I'm not going to read it because I've got 1,700 other free books that I've got to read, and I just want to sign up for your email list because I want to know when you've got a new book coming out. So right. I, it, it's kind of a fine line. Um, and there's always a new technique. There's always a new something. And once someone does a course on it, <laughs> then everybody's doing it. Oh, of course, of course. Uh, you know, uh, my friend Brett Battles, who is very successful in indie, um, I think he does maybe a book bub once in a while. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. That's, that's all the, the uh, marketing that he does. And I I actually learned the hard way is that uh, I after I put out Trial Junkies two I started writing uh, I must have put out three or four other books under a pen name uh, which didn't do nearly as well and I saw my own sales start to go down uh, and that was kind of scary so I'm now working on Trial Junkies three uh, and, as well as these. Uh, um, uh, books for Bronhaus, you know, doing mm-hmm. the Linker series and that kind of thing. I think that the trick is to get as many books in your catalog as you possibly can, because I really think that the the day of best-selling indie books uh, is kind of over, and what you really need to do is have a lot of books and sell. You know, if you sell a couple hundred book, a couple hundred of say twenty books each of 20 books uh, in a month, you're making a pretty decent living. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's interesting. I, I, you mentioned Lee Goldberg. He has uh, Brash Books. And one of the things that they're doing that's pretty cool is bringing back some great crime fiction books. Right, right. Uh, that, that were written, you know, maybe 20 years ago and just republishing them and bringing them back out and then adding to the catalog going forward. So there might be three old books, and then there's a new book, and then another new book. So they're essentially relaunching the series. And, you know, a lot of these books, unless you're writing about technology or something, they really don't get that dated. And it's just as much fun to read a book that was written 20 years ago as it is to read a book that was written yesterday. I'll be honest with you. Most of the books I read were written in the 60s and the 70s, you know, because I love those old thrillers uh, from those time, from that time. Uh, it's funny because uh, I had the idea also a couple of years ago of starting a company that basically put out uh, these older books that are no longer in circulation. Uh, but uh, I was at a conference and talking to Lee, and he was telling me how much they, trouble they had to go through to just find out who owned the rights to these hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, I don't think I want to get involved in that. It's just uh, they really jump, had to jump through a lot of hoops to find the the proper owners. I, apparently, some people would claim they had the rights, and they didn't have really have the rights, and uh, so it was very difficult to find all those things. They probably have it down to a science by now, but uh, well, they have a good eye. I mean, the, the things that they're oh, they republishing good, are really, really solid stuff. Really solid yeah. books. All right, you you started indie publishing. You started writing 
a long time ago. You started in yes. Indy in 2012. It's 2015 now. What's the biggest change you've seen over the last three years? Biggest change? Hmm. Uh, probably the one change that kind of bothers me is that free no longer seems to work like it used to. When I first came out, I did trial junkies free for three days and got something like, you know, 45,000 downloads or mm -hmm. something like that. And then after that, the book just took off. I mean, it really took off. And uh, you don't see that happening anymore. And I think it's kind of, I think what's happened is it's, it's got so, the market has gotten so diluted with these free books. It's the same thing like with the newsletters, uh, people giving out free books that mm -hmm. uh, people just kind of yawn when they see it nowadays. So I, I think it's a shame that that doesn't work as well as it used to. I don't know how the perma-free thing works when you have a series, because uh, I've never tried to do that. But uh, just the three-day free, then boom, your numbers go up and you start getting eyes on those books. I'm, I'm kind of sad that that doesn't work anymore. Uh, other than that, I guess the, the field is getting kind of crowded, but I've never really worried about that. I've always felt that it you know, was crowded. I mean, I used to go to libraries and see thousands right. and thousands of mm -hmm. books, you know, and I had to find a book that appealed to me. So I don't see why it's any different now than it was then. There may be, you know, three times as many books, but, uh, you know, people find a good book uh, when they want to. Well, Robert, thanks so much for being with us today. You've, you've been very generous with your time. Uh, sure. you, you just published Casting the Bones uh, last week, two weeks ago. It was in uh, end of August, think, right? I think it was about a week ago, yeah. Okay. So I highly recommend that. I'm also a fan of your fiction. I'm a particular fan of the Poe series that you wrote. That was with Brett Battles, right? Right. I, right. I love that series. So, oh, well, uh, thank you. A lot of good stuff. Uh, you, you, know, you, ha you know how to write a page turner. Oh, well, thank you. One of these days we're actually going to write the third book. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got to write the third Trial Junkies first. We've, we've both been so busy that uh, neither one of us has been able to, to get to it, so uh, we're, we're hoping to. Robert, what's the best way for people to keep up with you? Is it one of your websites or is it uh, Facebook? What's the best way? Actually, the best way to keep up with me is, is Facebook, and it's uh, just facebook.com slash Robert Gregory Brown with an E on the end. And uh, that's where I spend most of my online time. Um, my website is robertgregorybrown.com, but I don't really uh, go there a lot. I don't know if anybody uh, goes to their websites anymore. <laughs> uh, I don't blog. Anymore. I used to have a, a big blog, but I don't do that anymore. But I'm around, you know. And Brownhouse Media has a presence as well. And as you release new books through your publishing company, those the, the news goes out through there. Correct, correct. And that that would you know that might actually be a place where you'd want to go if you like thrillers, uh, where you you might want to go and sign up for the email list. A, you get a free book, and uh, B, you get notified when some great new books come out. Absolutely. All right, so uh, check out Robert's uh, book on writing. Check out the Linger series because that's a fun idea, and, and the books are entertaining there as well. So check it out. Robert, thank you so much for being with us today. You got it. Thanks for having me.